0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus 32, as we continue our series. I am uh, incredibly excited with what God is not just doing in our church. Uh, we have just, this, this year has just been, an, honestly, it's been a beautiful start to a year of just seeing God do amazing things in our services and our people, uh, getting testimonies of what God is doing Uh, Even online, for those that can't be here, just hearing miracles and uh, uh, lives being touched by the Spirit of God. And I love the fact that that it's not localized, that we are hearing just just around our nation right now. There is a move of the Spirit of God. Um, There's a tremendous move of the Spirit of God. And uh, this is my Facebook statement yesterday, and it will be my statement today that... If you're praying for a move of God that fits along with how you want it and how you want it scheduled and how you want it carried out, then, then please stop praying for that type of move of God, because the, because the Spirit of God is going to move in ways and, and that are not going to fit into your schedule, into your box, and He's going to want to do things that are going to stretch us and, and, and grow us. And it is uh, my prayer that, that God will continue to move in our church and to deepen our lives and our hearts Um, I'm really looking forward to our encounter night, a night of prayer and worship. For about five or six years, I've actually been wanting to move our worship night out of this room into a smaller room, not because we need a smaller room. Um, I like to bring the coals of the fire together. I think oftentimes we can get so spread out in here. And so it's been a five or six year plan to just move us into this cafe and just to have an unplugged worship set and to have all of us Worshipping close with one another like, the, like in the days of the upper room Worshipping together um, So make sure you mark your calendar On March the 5th um, We're just going to come together And I believe that uh, it's going to be toward the end of this series I believe God's going to do some tremendous things Would you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning? One verse this morning And it, it's not the happiest verse in the world <laughs> Do you know there's some not-so-happy verses in the Scripture? This is one of them. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together, gathered themselves together to Aaron, and said to him, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We've been doing a series called Holy Three, talking about the holiness of God, and I've got a a, a title of a message today that's called Unholy God. And if you notice, the, the G is little, because if there's anything that we can say is the opposite of holy, it is the word common. The opposite of holy is not evil. The opposite of holy is common. And quite often in our culture and in a lot of cultures that we have started to worship not that who is holy, but we begin to worship the common, creating around us an unholy God. Today we're going to preach about idols. I can't tell you the last time I've preached a message on idols, um, but I just feel like the Spirit of God is wanting to challenge all of us because we do have a choice in this world. I don't know if you realize this, we all worship something or someone We're all worshipers. We're all theologians. It's just a matter of who are we believing, who are we trusting, who do we choose to worship. Lord Jesus, I say, as for me and this house here, we will serve the Lord. As for me and this house, Lord Jesus, we say this will be a house of prayer for all nations. As for me and this house and this community, we proclaim this will be a place for for Jehovah God for Yahweh God, for Elohim, for Yeshua, for the one who sits on the throne. Lord, we just today exalt you with our lives and with our hearts, asking that you would transform us and that also you would confront us. In the words of the psalmist, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from us and restore to us the joy of our salvation, Lord. Lord, the fire of revival burns with the wood of repentance. And so today, God, bring us to a place of repentance that our lives would burn with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, before you see it, give someone an awkward high five. And I'll be honest, watching you guys give high fives is very awkward to watch. A friend of mine went uh, to Seoul, Korea back in the 90s. And he was telling a story about this trip that he took to, to, to Seoul. And within Seoul, Korea, now you've got to understand, we are part of the Assemblies of God denomination. We call ourselves a fellowship, so, but we're part of a, of a global church that wraps around this world uh, the Assemblies of God is still number one in evangelizing the world, number one missions agency. I love being a part of the Assemblies. And, um, but he was invited to go to Seoul, Korea to be a part of the local Assemblies of God churches conference that they were doing. Now, that, that may seem like a very cool thing. You've got to understand how cool this is. I mean, we talk about mega churches in America. We talk about churches of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Ch- the, the Assemblies of God church in Seoul, Korea, the church, singular church. In Seoul, Korea has over 100,000 members. Now, when I think about the stress of managing a church of our size, and now next to managing, David Young-E Cho planted that church, and the church is literally 100,000 people solid. When they have their Friday night prayer meetings, 24,000 people show up. To give you some perspective, Waldo Stadium over at Western Michigan seats 30,000 people. They have 60,000 deacons to serve the church. You would have to fill the stadium twice to have a leadership meeting. So my friend goes out there to be a part of a conference and uh, wanted to be a part of everything that goes on. And near their church, they have a mountain. They call it Prayer Mountain, for which 24-7, there are people calling out to Jesus on that mountain. So he wanted to go to that mountain, so he got onto a bus. The church actually has a bus that drives people back and forth to the mountain like a shuttle. And so he's on that bus, and he is just trying to create some conversations, but he's in Korea. He doesn't speak Korean, but next to him was a young pastor, a really young pastor that spoke English, and he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm from the States, and who are you? He goes, um, man, I, I just started pastoring. My church, the local church helped me to plant a church here, and so I just started a brand new church. He goes, oh, well, that's incredible. That's awesome. He says, yes, our church gave me 5,000 people to go start the church. I'm like, Most church planters start with 20. I've got a friend of mine starting a church. We're going to have him here in, um, I think it's in May. He's starting a church in Pontiac, Michigan. He had 70 at his meeting just the other day, getting people excited about planting. This guy's handed 5,000 people to go start a church. And so he's like, wow, that's, that's amazing and you know, so, so talk to me about your life. And so this young pastor starts talking about kind of, here's what I do, and, and here's kind of the disciplines of my life. And once a week, I go to Prayer Mountain, and I pray for 24 hours straight for my church. Some of you are wondering, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm always in intercession, 4K first. I would be lying through my teeth. 24 hours he spends praying over his church, 24 hours... Every seven days. And my friend's like, wow, that's, wow, that's amazing. Tell me about your time in the word. And this young pastor begins to just bow his head and he starts crying. He says, that's the thing I'm struggling with the most. He goes, well, tell me about your time in the word. He goes, I, I read the scriptures once a month. He's like, how do you as a pastor read the scriptures once a month, he goes, it's just, it's just something I'm struggling with right now. It's reading the scriptures. He goes, well, 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 tell me about your time in the scriptures. He goes, well, once a month I start in Genesis and I just start reading all the way. And it takes me a whole month until I get to the end of Revelation. And by the time I get there, I start over. And he says, Pastor, I know what's wrong. Pray for me. I want to get better. And my friend looks at me and goes, So let me get this straight. Once a month, you grab this, say the first of the month, and you start reading in Genesis, and it takes you 30 days to get to Revelation chapter 22, and then you start over in Genesis chapter 1. It says, yes, yes, please pray for me. I want to get better. By the way, sir, how often do you read the scriptures all the way through in the States? He goes, oh, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. If you've read the Bible, cover the cover you'll understand there's different themes that will come up throughout Scripture, wonderful themes, challenging themes. Uh, we could talk about the love of God from Genesis through Revelation. You could talk about the redemption of God. I believe that every single book of the Bible is sprinkled with the redemption of God. From the moment humanity sinned, uh, God covered humanity, and we see redemption. We, I believe we see Jesus from beginning to end. We've got amazing themes that are all around and sprinkled throughout the Scriptures. But if there's, there's one theme that is persistent, one theme that comes up over and over, more than many other things than we realize, it is the theme that's subject of idolatry. That's something that we don't talk about a lot in the church because when, we, when we're not living in what I would call Old Testament times and we're, and we're creating images and idols and we're, we have those in our homes, like we don't... We, we think of, of of those type of things that we think that we don't have idolatry. I remember when my parents showed me the, the classic movie The Ten Commandments. I fell in love with the Ten Commandments. And I remember just being fascinated with it and I went into my bedroom and I grabbed a I had, had these what do you call it, bookends, and they were these golden owl bookends, and I put it in, in the kitchen. I'm like, Mom, look, this is just like, this is like Israel, and I, and I bowed down to it. My mom slapped me so hard that moment. She, Did you not watch the movie? The earth swallowed them up. And so and I freaked, got freaked out. I don't think I touched that owl ever again for the rest of my life. But if there is a persistent message of the Scripture... It is a warning that us as humans have a proclivity to turn away from the holy God and to create what I would call unholy gods. John Calvin said this the heart of man is a perpetual factory for idols. When it comes to the idea of humanity, it seems that we human beings are endlessly creative when it comes to our idols. And this is what brings us into our scripture for the day. Because when you know the story of Moses, you know that God called Moses at the burning bush. If you've never heard that story, go back to last week's message. We talked about that, the transcendent God, the bush that did not burn. Why didn't it burn? Because the fire of God, who God is, who God is in terms of his makeup, does not need anything to feel it, to feed it. God doesn't fuel off of anything. He is God, he is the self-sustaining God, the self-existing God. And here we've got Moses, who has led the children of Israel Out of bondage, he has gone into there and he calls out to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who is this God? And he says, I am who I am has sent me. And even the story of Moses leading the children of, 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 uh, children of Israel out of Egypt is a story about idolatry because even the ten plagues that we see in Scripture, if you study those ten plagues, each plague was designed to confront one of Pharaoh's gods. And to show the difference between the little g God and the real God. And so this Real God takes Israel, leads them out of Egypt. And while he comes out of Egypt, they take with them the spoils, the gold of Egypt. And so they, they left it out of slavery and left as a people, as a nation, as a wealthy nation now. And so God leads them out of Israel, out of Egypt, and then leads them to the Red Sea, splits the Red Sea. They walk over on dry ground and they start traveling toward the promised land. They're thirsty. God provides them water. They're hungry. Exodus chapter 16 God gives them manna from on high. This, this holy bread. I like to think of it as angel food cake. Have you ever had the angel food cake? How is that not blessed? Goodness, not as good as yellow cake, but nevertheless, it's angel food cake. amazing. And, yet, and, then, and then Moses gets to the mountain of God and he goes up to talk with God and has to have conversations with God. And there the people saw that Moses was delayed I like, keep wondering, are these people Americans? Like, we don't like to wait for anything. Moses is delayed coming down, and so the people gathered themselves, and they call over Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Aaron was the right hand to Moses, and they said, listen, Aaron, come over here. Make us gods who will go before us for this Moses, it's as if they don't know Moses any longer. This Moses, this guy who brought us up out of the land, we don't know what has become of him. So, therefore, we want to take matters in our own hands and we want you to make these gods. Those two words there, make and gods, that, how did that not get caught up in their throats and they choke on those words? They saw God move in such a way that plagues are sent to free them, water, a body of water is split that they could walk through. When they needed guidance, a pillar of fire guided them by night and a cloud by day. They saw God provide when they were hungry. God provide when they were thirsty. And, and yet, they got to this place and said, we're not seeing what we used to see, so therefore let's make what we can make. You see, a real God can't be make, can't be made. A real God actually makes. A God that, that is real, he's able to save, deliver. He will listen, he responds, he comforts, he restrains. He transforms, he destroys, he creates whenever and however he decides, unlike man-made gods. And so the children of Israel took all of the plunder and the gold that they brought up out of Egypt and they gave it to Aaron and they melted it down and they formed what was known as the golden calf. They took that golden calf They placed it in their midst, and they pronounced it God. Psalms chapter 106, verse 20 through 21, describes it this way. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. They gave an exchange. This is literally what idols do. Idols call us to exchange that which is holy for that which is common. One of my favorite writers and speakers, her name is Jackie Hill Perry. She says this, Idolatry always involves an exchange. It is a magician's act in which the holy is traded for the profane, the unique for the common, the transcendent for the earthly, the creator for the creature, exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Then Paul in the book of Romans says this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who ble- who is blessed forever, amen. We read that scripture out of Romans and we immediately think of the Psalms chapter 106 that we just read. And like, well, well he's probably referring to the people of Israel, but if you read Romans chapter one, Romans chapter 1 is intense. It is a spiritual two by four to hit you between the eyes because you come to realize that that word wasn't talking about the people of old or some ancient times. It was confronting the modern church of that day and confronts us to this day that if we don't watch our hearts, we will create idols just like the children of Israel did of that day. It says in Exodus 32, 4, they received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Like, Where did, I, where did Israel even get that idea? Have you ever said that about your kids? What caused them to do that? The devil? And <laughs> all of a sudden your spouse looks like, nope, they got that from you. Israel didn't just drum this up. Israel brought with them what they saw in the culture of Egypt. They were raised with Egyptians. They were raised in a place full of idolatry. And so what they saw was there's gods you can see and gods that you can hold. And so therefore, if we no longer see God, let us create something that we can see, something we can hold, and more specifically, a God that we can manipulate and a God that we can control. Idolatry. St. Augustine says, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. There's a sobering thought. That idolatry is is worshiping anything, anything that ought to be used. In America, we love to worship things that are being used. And idolatry just as bad is when we try using things that ought to be worshiped. So for Israel in this moment in Exodus chapter 32 it was a golden calf. And if you continue reading in the Old Testament which this Korean pastor reads once a month what you would read is there are other there are always there was always hundreds and thousands of idols but there were idols that became the names of pagan gods. Like the Philistines they had Dagon. You get to uh, Babylon you've got Baal. You've got Molech. You got Asheroth, and you know that throughout the story of Israel's life, they were always faced with, will they bow their knee to Baal, will they bow their knee to Asheroth, will they bow their knee to Molech, or will they bow their knee toward God? Who will you serve? Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And knowing how idolatry in the Old Testament is may lead us to believe, well, that was hundreds, that was thousands of years ago, Pastor Dave. We think that idolatry is an ancient problem. But I'm here to say this, that modern humanity isn't beyond idolatry. We simply dress it up in different clothes. Hundreds of years ago to thousands of years ago, it might have been a golden calf. It might have been Asheroth. It might have been Baal. But what now? The things that we serve and the gods we make, we make intellect God. We make relationships God. We make sex God. What about sexual identity, autonomy, money, marriage, legalism, politics, power, ethnicity, food, social media, Our children, other people's opinion. Pick your poison. We can easily take something that was determined to be okay or good and we make it the God that we serve in our lives. Don't tell me that we modern Americans, that we modern day agers are not people that can worship gods. We can choose to worship things that that aren't bad, but we make them our gods. I'll say it this way. Idols are usually not bad things, but good things that have become the ultimate things. Now look, even the list I gave you, there's some things on this list that are very good things, like intellect. How many believe intellect's a good thing? Intellect's very good. I want you to be intelligent. Students, I want you to get good grades in your classes. Some parents say amen. That was the most lackluster amen. Goodness gracious. All What about this? Marriage. How many of you think marriage is a good thing? There we go. How many of you think sex and marriage is a wonderful thing? That's even better. Like, I got a hallelujah in the back. What about our kids? We love our kids, don't we? That wasn't as powerful as I thought it was going to be. These are all wonderful things and not everything on the list is a bad thing. But what happens is many times if we make those things the ultimate thing in our life, no matter how good it is, no matter how phenomenal it might be, if it has taken the place or the throne of God, it has now become an idol. And idols are those things in our life that we think are going to guarantee us joy and security. This takes me to Acts chapter 19. If you want to go to Acts chapter 19, you're more than welcome to go there. Acts chapter 19 is a place where we can kind of land and talk about idolatry. Do you want to know why? It's because, again, we think that idolatry was just an Old Testament thing. Pastor Dave, that went out with the Old Testament. When Malachi was finished being written, the season of idolatry was gone. Idolatry is alive and well. And what we get in this beautiful story of Acts chapter 19 is a story of what idolatry can do to the local church. The story goes of Acts chapter 19... When you get to the, about midway through, is you get the story about a city that is one of the most famous cities in all of Scripture, specifically all of the all of the New Testament. It's the city of Ephesus. We know Ephesus because of the the Book of Ephesians. First uh, and Second Timothy were writ- written from Ephesus, Some believe that First and Second Corinthians were also written from there. Um, Ephesus is mentioned in the Book of Revelation. Some people believe that John wrote from Ephesus. Ephesus is a very pivotal place, and what was happening is as you're as you're reading. Um, Acts chapter 19, about midway through, you begin to see that the church, they were called the way. The way, the way of Christ was beginning to move like wildfire. We sing that this morning, come like a fire, come like a flood. This was hitting and sweeping a city that was a city that was the center of worshiping Artemis, or what also was called by the Romans, Diana. Diana, Artemis, two different dialects, same idol. And in the midst of this movement, we began to see things were beginning to change. And so I want to give you just five simple thoughts about idols that we would guard our hearts today. Five simple truths about idols that I want you to write down if you're a note taker this morning. It's number one, an idol is anything that promises us a life of security and joy apart from God. An idol is anything that promises a life of security and joy apart from God. Acts chapter 19, verse 24 through 27. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to to the craftsmen. In other words, he was making bank from creating little shrines, little statues of Artemis. This guy carried the bag. This guy had it all. And all of a sudden, these men and women of God were coming in preaching Jesus And preaching Jesus was changing the hearts of the individuals that were worshiping Artemis, which meant it was taking money out of Demetrius' pocket. Verse 25, he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that the gods made with hands are not God's. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be disposed of of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. See, Diana, when it came to the idea of being the central deity of a city. She was the one that was protected. She was the one that brought the people security. She was the one that brought the people joy. And I want you to understand that false hope is what really makes an idol, an idol. And if, we, if you want to know this, if something is an idol in your life, what makes you look at a thing and say to yourself, as long as I have this, I will be happy. And again, what makes idols so dangerous many times is idols sometimes are very good things. But oftentimes we chase things because we want them to be the source of our happiness as alone as God being the source of our joy. And we chase things and we chase after creation rather than chasing after the creator. I love how John Mark Homer says this. Idolatry is the de-godding of God. That leads me toward number two. Personal gods engage the deepest emotions of our our hearts. When we have made something an idol, when we've made something a god in our life, it engages some deep emotions. Why? Because we attach so much of our life and our life's meaning to those things. Acts 19, verse 28 says, When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They saw their idol being threatened and got enraged. Because when your security is not an idol and your security gets challenged, you know this. My idol can't defend itself. I have to defend it. And I I know it's happened to me, and it's probably never happened to you, where you posted something on Facebook, and somebody went off on you, and you have no idea where it came from. Never happened to you. It just happens to me. Where you made a statement, a simple statement, then all of a sudden somebody just goes off on the thread below if they're, if they're a little more gutless, if they're a little more kind. They might actually send you a hey, private message. Hey, you said something that you brought this up. But man, there are times that I've posted something and people have gone off because I spoke a Sometimes a biblical truth, a kingdom truth, but what it did was it threatened their political prowess. It threatened their status. It it hurt, Like, like I've said this one time, and I had somebody so angry at me, that in your marriage, your marriage should be number one, your kids number two. Somebody went off on me. How dare you put kids that low? I'm like... Listen, the scripture says train up a child in the way that they should go that they would not depart from it. You know what the key word is? They're like, the word is train. No, the word is go. They got go. <laughs> to go. Listen, a good parent does this. You train up a child to be able to leave and you develop a house that they want to come back to. That's good parenting there. You want to train them to be able to live on their own and not suckle off of your your, your life for the rest of their lives. Train them to go. But for some reason... We get so caught up that if they leave, my life's going to be over. No, it's not. No, it's not. You had life before, you'll have life after. But we do that with so many things. We make, th- we make things our idol and we'll say, if I lost this job, if I lost this position, if I lost this leadership moment, if I lost this, if I lost that, my life would be over. So if we get to the place where we are frightened or despaired if something's going to be removed outside of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, we may have created an unholy God in our lives. The irony of idolizing things is idols will keep you from really being able to enjoy life at all because your life will be perpetually empty. I've brought, I bring this up during marriage uh, conferences when I speak. There's that great gospel movie, Jerry Maguire, which is actually a terrible movie. And one of the most famous lines in it is they're in an elevator and there's people signing to each other and they sign something. says, says, what did that person say? He looked at her spouse and said, you complete me. But when we look at a thing or a person and we think that it's their job to complete us, we have placed a demand upon a person or a thing that they could never actually do because they were never equipped to complete us. The only person that is ever able to, to, to be equipped to fulfill our lives does not live in this world. He lives in the heavens. He is seated upon the throne for which the angels circle him crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God, God Almighty. The only one that's able to complete us. He's the only one that can sustain the weight of that expectation. But we put that expectation on so many things. And we think that idolatry doesn't exist today. Number three. Idols need need to be protected. It's a very simple next step. Not only do people get upset when you, when you attack their idols, but they feel like they have to protect them. Verse 29 of Acts 19, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians who were with Paul's companions in travel. They started up a literal riot. Read about it. I mean, If you want to Google Ephesus riot, it will take you to Acts chapter 19, for which People are breaking out in anger and frustration. These craftsmen like, like Demetrius, they were creating knickknacks, making money off of the ideology because they knew where people's hearts were at, and they weren't going to stand idly by, letting anybody come in and to remove money from their pockets or seat anybody else on the throne of people's hearts. Leads me toward number four. Idols demand sacrifice to keep them empty. The whole system of Ephesus was built to appease Artemis. And it's no accident that people begin to sacrifice their sanity. People begin to sacrifice their status as they rose up to riot and to literally drag these people, these Christians, out into the streets to kill them. But idols will always make you sacrifice for them regardless of what the cost may look like. Because if business is your idol, boy, you'll sacrifice integrity. If acceptance is your idol, you'll sacrifice everything to get people's affirmation. You'll sacrifice whatever it takes to get one more like on social media. If romance is your idol, you'll walk out on a relationship as soon as the spark seems to fade. There's something that I speak to young pastors about all the time, is I will talk about my first five years of ministry, because I will say this, is that I was a pastor that was sold out for ministry, but ministry was my idol. My wife married a workaholic that wouldn't take a day off. Why? Because somebody may need ministry. Somebody may need outreach. Somebody may need meat, Somebody might need this. Somebody might need that. And I was willing to sacrifice my wife and my child on the altar of ministry for the sake of the Lord. And listen, is ministry a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. But I'm here to say, but my love, my sacrifice ought to be for Jesus. And how is that lived out? Is that my lived out? It's lived out in my first ministry, which is to my wife. Second to my kids. Third goes to every one of you. If we don't know what the priorities are in our lives, we will easily create idols, and we will sacrifice on altars for those idols. And because in my brain, my first five years, it's never enough. I need people to like me. I need people to look at me in a certain way. I need people to accept me. I need to validate my title as a pastor. And we chase after validation, and that's our idol. We chase after acceptance, and that's our idol. Never really realizing if we found our enoughness in Jesus, then we realize, Idols will never, ever fill that place in our lives. And leads me toward number five, that idols are harsh taskmasters. Idols are harsh taskmasters. If you fail them, they will make you pay. The idol of money will say, if you don't do enough to obtain me, I will make you miserable because there will never be enough. The idol of family will say, if you... If this relationship somehow got broken, it won't be worth living. If this child leaves, it won't be worth staying together. I love comfort. Sacrifice your honesty. Sacrifice your integrity. Sacrifice the closest relationships, whatever makes you comfortable. We serve a lot of gods in America. See, idols will put this thing over you that if you fail me, you're going to pay. And then you end up paying and then you feel like you're failing your idol and you get into this perpetual mode where you're constantly serving this idol where it's just never, ever enough. What I love about Jesus is this. As God looked down at us and our sin and he said, you know what? You you did fail. But instead of destroying you, I'm going to send my son to be destroyed for you. And instead of demanding a sacrifice from you, My son will be the sacrifice. And unlike unholy gods, we find the holy God in the the holy God that when we obtain him, he will satisfy us. That when we fail him, he will forgive us. That when we fall short, he picks us up. That when we feel unworthy, He covers us and makes us worthy. We have a choice where we can serve the holy God. The one who will truly bring our lives into completion. Or we can chase perpetual unholy gods. And waste our lives away. And waste away our potential. And waste away our goals. And waste away the vision that we've ever had for our lives. Pour that into things that were never meant to be worshipped. Or in our hearts of repentance we could turn toward God. And say, God, it's to you and you alone that we bow our lives. If I can have my my piano player come. I don't think it's a lack of the Uh, I don't think it's the church's lack of desire for God. As much as it's our tolerance for our idols. I don't think in today's church, it's a lack of desire for God that we have. Because I think we all desire God. I, I don't think you show up here without having some sort of desire by God. Even if you got brought here by a friend, you, there, it was a desire, a seeking desire in your heart. You're like, well, Pastor Dave, they didn't invite me. They took me out to breakfast, bought me breakfast, and I felt obligated to go within the church. Well, it's all right. <laughs> you probably came here with some seeking desire inside of your life. We've all got a desire for God. And so I don't think that's what's lacking as much as our tolerance for idols. Why is it that I believe that repentance is the firewood that helps stoke the flames of revival? Why is it? Because in repentance, it is our laying down of the idols and the things that we trusted in to bring us fulfillment and to bring us hope, to try to, try to bring us peace or to make us feel loved, to, to try to get our lives to feel complete. It is the idols that we have chased after. And when we truly find that completion, that truly find that, that the solidarity that we look, we're looking for, is when we're no longer running after things and we turn and just run simply after God. And what I love about that, that turn, it's such a funny thing to say, to run after God. Because I don't know about you, when I gave my life to Jesus, I really didn't have to run anywhere. I turned from my sin, and he was there. (laughs) I turned, and he was there. My God, I felt like I cursed you when I struggled with Daniel's death, but he's still there. What about when I was looking at pornography? All I had to do was turn, and he's right there. When I got away from my unholy gods, all I had to do, I thought I had to run. I thought I had to search. I thought I had to do something to get him back. All I had to do was turn my life, and boom, he's there. He's there. And I found myself like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, just falling on my knees. Just shocked. Holy cow, you still like me. You still love me. It is my hope and prayer, like, man, man, what do we do with today? This is heavy. This is, how do we go? How do we go to Lee's Chicken after this and have a conversation about Sunday morning? There's only one response from a Sunday morning like this. And it's out of Psalms chapter 139. This is the the demand that I make upon staff, I I make upon anybody, you've got an issue with Pastor Dave, I demand that you do Psalms 139 first before you come talk to me. What does Psalms 139 says? The psalmist says, search my heart, O God. Because I believe we should search our hearts before dealing with others. And what do we do with this? Search my heart, God. Because there are idols that sometimes can linger in the background. They linger in the background. Something that I remember learning something about my iPhone years ago. Is when you start an application on an iPhone, the application runs. So that when you start up the app, you're gonna start it again, you don't have to restart the application because it runs. It's already it's still running. And it may not seem like a big deal to some of you because some of you 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 you're you use those other phones and you need to get right with God and get an iPhone. <laughs> but I remember years ago somebody said, are you losing battery? Are you being dra- are your battery draining quick? Here's a few things to do. Number 1, close the applications, close the programs that are running in the background. And I remember thinking, what, do we, what, do I mean? what does it mean? It's running in the background. And it says, oh, double-click your home button, and all of a sudden, I could see. I had like 40 or 50 different things that were going on all at once. And all of a sudden, I started closing it. And my battery, I wasn't losing juice because nothing was running in the background. And for some of us, with our relationship with God, I want to point you toward Jesus, but for some of us, we've got idols that are running in the background. They are draining your spiritual joy. They're draining your spiritual life. They're draining your prayer life, draining your worship life. And some of us, we've got to take those idols and we've got to set those aside and begin to say, God, these are good things, but you need to be the ultimate thing. So where is the joy in your life coming from? Where's your peace truly coming from? Is the peace in your life Solely coming from the atmosphere of your home, if that's the case, I'm just telling you, we can't do that in the Barringer house. Because depending upon who lost that weekend, it changes the atmosphere of our home. I know I'm being silly with it, but how true is that in our homes? We let the condition of the, ho- of the office dictate the condition of our home. The condition of politics. Some of you, depending upon how things got voted the week before, is how close you're going to feel toward God. Because you begin to think that whatever happens in Washington dictates the kingdom of God. I'm here to say, the scripture says, that the government rests upon his shoulders. Stop serving the God-called Republicans or Democrats. Stop serving gods that were man made and man contrived. Some of you are serving the God of the voice that's on the TV telling you what to fear and what to believe. Trust in Jesus. We have unholy gods that are ordering our lives. And in the words of Joshua, as for me and my house. And so I say this Lord, call us to repentance. What's running in the background? What's running in the background? Some of you are more worried about what happens after service than meeting with God in service. Some of us are more worried about what the plans are for the weekend that we put God in the background of everything. Don't ever let God run in the background. Put God in the foreground and close everything else out. And let him be the filter for everything. Could we just stand together? I just... Could we do this in this house? Could we fill this house with a a heart of repentance? I'm gonna challenge you. If you feel comfortable, would you just lift your hands and just begin to talk to the Lord? Lord, what's running in my background? What's running in our backgrounds? I mean, ask Jesus this morning. Ask the Spirit of God to work in your life. Lord, show me, are there any idols, any golden calves that I've created? That I attribute my, my wealth, I attribute my peace, I attribute my strength, I attribute my security to. Help me to see if those are the things that I'm chasing after or what am I chasing after you. Scripture says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. Man, the God, God pursues us, but oftentimes we're not pursuing Him. And the Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just give us revelation today. Give us revelation today. Revelation today of any idols running in our background. And Lord, if we do, what we do this morning is we repent. Lord, we just repent. We turn from them. Lord, some of these things are good things, and it doesn't mean those th- good things are going to wa- go, go away, it's also, but it's going to mean that, Lord, we confess these good things, they're going to stay around, but they're not going to be our gods any longer. Our marriage, it's going to be, we're going to power through, we're going to stick through, but it's not going to be oh my God any longer. My kids, <laughs> my job, Lord, politics can be a wonderful thing, but God, my joy is not going to depend upon who's in the White House or who's in the State House Lord, we just repent this morning of filling our lives with unholy gods, little G-gods. And I pray that every single day that you would call us back to repentance, to fixate on you, to trust in you, the holy one, the righteous one, the all-powerful one, the one that spoke the world into existence. Speak our world into existence, Lord Jesus. Lord, if if we feel like if we let go of something, our world's going to go in chaos. Lord, you specialize in creating out of chaos. Create in us new hearts today. New lives pointed towards you. New hearts that are going to be centered upon who you are. Lord, we don't want a revival that simply gets us to show up and enjoy moments inside of a church, Lord. We want a revival of transformed lives that go into this world, God, ready to be city set on a hill, lights on a lampstand, oh God. Lord, we want to let our lives burn with the glory of God that people would taste and see and know that you are good. We don't want to rally people to our idols. We want to rally people towards you, oh God. We rally people toward Jesus. Rally people toward the one that redeemed us, saved us, transformed us. Who would we be without you, Jesus? (laughs) Who would we be? Who would we be? Where would we be? So, Jesus, I ask that today, that, Lord, you would help us to live our lives set apart and consecrated. Our lives were not meant not to be common, but meant to be holy. We're not meant to be common. Forgive us for chasing after Egypt, for chasing after what culture says. Here's how you make your gods. Lord, we want to be a people set apart for you. Help us to see you in the perfect light and to see the world around us in the proper light. That we live in creation, but we worship the Creator. We live amongst this world, but we're, Lord, we're aliens and strangers because we recognize that this world can't be worshiped because it's not our home. We have a heavenly home, a God that we serve, a life with you. So, Lord, I just ask that you would seal this in our hearts, that you would challenge us this week that you would confront us every single day with who you are and the things that maybe want to rise up and take over our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to not just walk in repentance today, but to live it every single day as we endeavor to follow after you. We say to you, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever and ever and ever. And everyone said,